conspiracies and conspiracy theories. I always say we need more conspiracies. The word conspiracy comes from conspire, meaning to breathe together. So it's a group of people who come close and breathe together, breathing in the spirit of some idea and some inspiration and try to create something in the world. I think this is what we need to, to make a difference. People coming together and inspired together, conspiring together. But in terms of the theories that there is some conspiracy out there controlling the world. It's interesting to look at that and see why that's an attractive idea. Why, why do people like that? And I think it's to do with seeing the big complicated pattern of everything that's happening in the world and how it all seems to be kind of linked. It's hard to believe that all of the different elements that go together to make our world, when you see their links, when you see that, for example, the power that is held by money and capitalism and how much that money and capitalism controls us and how that expresses itself in so many, many different areas of society. It's hard to believe that there is no link between them, that they're just isolated incidents. And so the idea of a conspiracy is a way of explaining this, this big pattern that people see. When we're looking at theories of how the world works, ideas, I like to look for four different qualities. And the first one is, is it true? Truth. Sometimes it's hard to tell, but if, if something can explain the facts, then it could be true. Uh, a good theory that can explain facts can be true. So we can try to see if it does explain the facts. And if it doesn't explain the facts, if the facts just don't fit, then obviously it's not true. If it does explain the facts, then it might be true. The second quality is usefulness. Good theories explain the world in such a way that we're able to respond to it better. The theory of how electricity works enables us to design electric light bulbs. 
if a theory isn't useful, then it's somehow less compelling. So if we have lightning from the sky, one possible theory to explain it is that the gods are angry with us and are shooting their lightning bolts down at us. And another possible theory to explain it is that there is an electric potential difference between the sky and the earth and the lightning is the movement of electrons between those two points. And that this is something that goes on, it can go on in other places in the world and the same thing that goes on in electrical circuits. Now, as far as truth goes, both of those theories explain the same fact. And they explain the, explain the same fact in, in such a way that neither could claim to be definitely more true than the other. You can't demonstrate that it is the gods. And you can't really demonstrate that it is a potential difference either. You can kind of measure some things, but I can't see any potential difference. But if you look at the usefulness of the theory, there's a big difference. The potential difference theory enables us to respond to this, to make lightning conductors to use electricity in different ways. The gods are angry with us. Sure, it, we can respond in in, in, in to that by trying to do sacrifices to the gods and make them happy with us. But it doesn't give us that same power, the same ability to design effective responses to the world because of understanding this theory. So a theory that is useful is more broad and likely to have more truth in it. Another quality that we can look for in theories is beauty. So an idea that is beautiful, that somehow opens our mind to seeing the world in an inspired, positive way. is likely to be more in line with the unity of all things, with the kind of paradoxical nature of the universe. 
and also that beauty in some way makes it more useful as well. Makes it able to be applied in more beautiful ways. And simply having something beautiful and choosing a beautiful idea rather than an ugly idea is, is attractive because it actually gives us a more positive view of the world and, a, and buoys us up, allows us to respond well to the world. So whether or not beauty actually means that this theory is true, if I'm faced with two different theories and one of them is beautiful and one of them is ugly, I may choose to work with the beautiful theory because it gives me more gives me more in my life, gives me the possibility of responding in a way that is more positive. Um, if you've ever read The Life of Pi, it has a good demonstration of this. He gives us a long story that's quite a beautiful story about him and the tiger on the boat. And then at the end, somebody questions how they can know this is true. And he says, well, you don't know it's true. Maybe this is true instead. And he gives a really dark, ugly story instead about how he was stuck on, his, on the boat with his family and they, some of them killed each other and, and some of them drowned and etc. And that the, the story he told was symbolic of, of what was going on there. And then he said, uh, which story do you, would you like to believe? And people chose the beautiful story because they would prefer to believe something beautiful. And I think this is an important, important thing to be able to do. When we are faced with uncertainty, we can choose the idea that uplifts us rather than the, than the idea that brings us down. We can choose the more positive idea. And we may or may not be right, but in choosing the positive idea, we give more scope, more possibility for the positive things to arise. This is something that I see playing out in relationships a lot. So, someone says something and that could be interpreted in different ways. They say, uh, I don't like the way your hair looks today. And the response can can be very different. It can be, if I choose to, to believe that this person doesn't like my hair today because they would like to do something better with my hair, they're, they're a really good hairdresser and they would really like to uh, brush my hair and look after it. Or I can think, 
they don't like my hair today, they don't like the way I look, I'm ugly, and therefore I should hide in my room. So we can choose which way we want to believe, or whether we want to believe the one or whether we want to believe the other, and both of them could be true, but the result is very different. So if I choose the negative one, if I choose the one that says, I'm ugly, I should hide in my room, then I end up hiding in my room even if actually they meant they just want to look after my hair. But if I choose the theory that says they want to look after my hair, they want to be good to me, and I say, ah, you want to look after my hair. Maybe they do. Or maybe they actually meant, yeah, it looks ugly, I don't like it. But when you say, ah, oh, you want to look after my hair, maybe it might open up to the possibility of them taking on that positive role and seeing it in a positive light. So sometimes the choice of theory actually can influence the nature of things, and the nature of things can fit itself to the theory that we choose. So choosing a theory that we like, when faced with no other way of choosing, can be a good idea. The fourth quality that I look for is goodness or compassion. Does it lead me to have compassion for all, for everyone involved? Theories that lead to compassion tend to be more true and tend to be more useful. They also tend to be more beautiful, but let me explain. If I am looking at the different people involved in a situation and I say one of them was just being mean and, and he hurt everybody else and everyone else's victims of this guy was being really mean, then is this true? It may be true. Is this useful? It's not very useful. What does it lead to? We should punish that person? Doesn't really solve the problem or prevent it from happening again later. A more compassionate response, a more compassionate theory is this person was trying to do something good, was getting it wrong, and what they meant was something else. Um, they weren't trying to be mean, but meanness kind of came out because of the situation they were in. Or maybe they felt like they were being under attack in some way and they needed to defend themselves. So if we can un then understand compassionately why that person behaved in the way they did, then it can give us 
something that we can do about it. Maybe we can help that person to learn a better response, or maybe we can help that person to feel more safe, and maybe we can prevent that from happening again. And it's also more true because you've understood more. If you've understood only the victims and you haven't understood the aggressor, then you haven't fully understood the situation. So if we can look for these four qualities, truth, usefulness, compassion, and beauty, then we can choose theories that are uplifting, likely to be more true, and are more effective in helping us respond to the world. So conspiracy theories that say there is a group of people out there controlling the world may be true. I can't tell you if it's true or not. It does at least explain the facts, some of the facts. Is it useful? It's not very useful. It doesn't give us something that we can really do about it. Is it beautiful? No, it's not very beautiful. It's kind of a, kind of a depressing theory. And is it compassionate? No, it doesn't lead us to understand those people, those conspirators who are apparently controlling the world. Those it doesn't lead us to understand them. So, can we find something that explains this big pattern that we see in a way that is more, that, that is more true, is more beautiful, is more compassionate and useful? I think it's a little bit harder to, to comprehend, but there is the idea that patterns in society and patterns in nature and patterns everywhere are formed by the interaction of elements rather than by one controlling force. So if you take a look at a forest, it has a very clear pattern, but that pattern is not based on one tree who was ruling the forest. It's based on all of the different elements of light and soil conditions and, and life and how it works and all of the interaction of the different elements. And that forms a very stable pattern which is like a cycle of many different elements working together. So in the same way, I think that society is like a forest. 
and we have many elements that are working together. And there are forces that everybody is experiencing. And those forces are leading us to have this situation that we see. So, for example, we're talking about the power that money has. So, I don't think we need to say that the rich people are controlling. And there's particular rich people who are controlling everything. In fact, I think it's better to say that money is a force. And money is a force that is creating some controls in society. And it's controlling all of us. And whether you're rich or poor, you're under the control of money to some extent. And the very wealthy have a certain amount of power, but only because they are willing to work with the money and to, to harness it to their, to what they want. If they decided that they didn't want to work with money anymore and they don't like money, then they would not be rich anymore and they would not have that power anymore. So it's not the individuals that have the power. It's the force, the impersonal forces that exist in society. And money is one of those forces. And there are many others. Uh, community connections between people. Understanding ideas. Physical force. productivity. All of these things contribute to the pattern we are seeing. And if we can understand that pattern, maybe we can respond well to it. And we can find something that we can do. So one of the theories that is quite, uh, I think, quite a good one play with in terms of understanding what's going on in the world is a theory that comes out of Prout, the Progressive Utilization Theory, P-R-O-U-T. And that is that we have different phases in society. And at each phase, there's a different kind of power and a different kind of people who have power and influence. So the first phase would be called the worker phase because it's the phase where the ordinary people who can produce food and work the land and support others have influence. And so if you have a hunter-gatherer society, these are the people that have influence in that society. The second phase is the warrior phase. The warrior society is the power of might and those who are able to conquer and defeat others and be strong and be organized. 
they become the leaders, the influential, the powerful in that society. And then the third phase is the intellectual phase, the intellectual power. So intellectual power is when the ideas, the religion, the church, science, engineering, are what rules and controls. And so the people who wield those ideas are the ones who have the most influence. And then the fourth phase is the phase of commerce, money, capitalism. And the people who wield money have the most influence. And so being in this fourth phase of capitalism, of commerce, those who are good with money are powerful and influential. But this phase, these phases, this continue to cycle on and slowly from one era to the next, the power systems change. So after we've been in a, in a society where we have worker power, the warriors start to take control. And from the warriors, the intellectuals, those with the ideas, start to influence. And so the king's wise advisors become more influential than the king himself. And then, as we have universities and institutions, the running of these and dealing with the finances becomes more important than the content of the institution itself. And in the same way, as each one of these powers leads on to the next and is undermined by the next power, the capitalist power can be undermined by the community power, by going back to the worker power. When we produce all that we need and we have a community around us and we support that community and we support each other, then the power of money has much less influence over us and so we can create a new power, a new way of organizing ourselves that is more free. So I think that this way of looking at the world is a more beautiful and useful and compassionate way of seeing things, and therefore probably more true. And that leads back to my first point. I think the best thing about conspiracies is that we need more of them. We need people to come together and be inspired together and to conspire together to make a difference in the world, to make little communities, little people gathering together, supporting each other, 
creating a power that's a power based on community and connection that takes us away from the power of money. There's a quote I read, it said, the correct way to think about how the world works is that it's controlled by a select few powerful people. And those few powerful people are you and your friends. So I would like to see you go and conspire with your friends and see how you can use your power to lead the world in the direction that you would like to see. And maybe together, all of those little groups conspiring, maybe we can, the groups can conspire together and we can really create a more beautiful, compassionate, 